Welcome potential candidates to the Local Council Experience podcast, the show where we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly and the beautiful aspects of lower tier local government with the people contributing to these positions now. I'm your host Chris and without further ado, let's get this meeting started. Hello, you right? Yeah, see you, mate. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, not too bad. Good. Thank you Sounds for joining. Sounds like it's working. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I just had a little bit of a technical difficulty because um, if I have my Wi-Fi on on my phone, then it creates a bit of an issue that I found out on the previous podcast where it makes your words all jumpy. And I thought, right. Right. Knock that on the head quick. And... Um, I've gone on 4G, and while I'm using the Anchor app for this podcast, we've got to do it on 4G for better recording. So, yeah, a little bit of technical difficulties, but we're here now, ready to go. Marvellous. Marvellous. And see, Richard's just joined as well. Hi there. Yeah. All right? Yeah, not bad, thank you. So, I, so yeah, I'm, I'm here purely as a, as a listening capacity, just because Ben can't be trusted not to uh, libel himself or the BBC. So I will I'll put, myself on, <laughs> I'll put myself on mute and just sit you're, idly you're... in the background. And I'll, I'll just yell at Ben if he says anything outrageous. You're the guy <laughs> with a big buzzer that if any of us say anything wrong, you can go... Mm. Well, no, Chris, you can say what you like. It's your podcast. It's, it's Ben's, Ben's the one I'm concerned about. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I will say what I like. <laughs> um, right, well then, thank you, Richard. Uh, quietly brewed in the background and um, me and Ben will crack on, so to speak. Hello? Hello, Mob, whenever mm. you're ready. Oh, right. Well, well, I'm ready. We're going. This bit's in the, um, it's unedited, unedited, long format conversational podcast. So the second that we connect with, everybody's listening. The end. What, um, right, Ben, for, for the people that don't really know, who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do, mate, please? Well, that'll be everybody except my mum. Um, so I'm Ben Voice. I'm BBC Radio Sussex's political reporter based down in Brighton. Um, so what that means is that I cover local politics for mostly sort of local councils, uh, parish councils up to county councils and whatever our local MPs are up to as well for the local audience. Um, so that's a bit of radio, a bit of TV, a bit of online reporting as well. Mm, cool. So do you, do you make it uh, known that you're going to council meetings? Do you go to council meetings, the parish council meetings, or do you just stay and wait until you see the agendas and stuff like that, or hear a bit of, for, for lack of a better word, a little bit of gossip and think, oh, I'll do some investigating on that? How, how does your process work? To it's a bit of both, to be honest. I mean, the agendas are always helpful because. On my patch, certainly, I've got sort of two county councils, one big city council in Brighton. Mm. Um, I've got 12 district and boroughs and hundreds of parish councils. So I can't be, I don't. I mean, I'm not Hermione Granger, I don't have a time turner, I can't be in all of them. Um, so sort of spotting kind of key stories that are going to be of interest to as many of our listeners as possible or that are particularly important, then I'll, I'll go along to a council meeting. 
Um, and yeah, a lot of it is sort of tip-offs from the public, tip-offs from councillors, um, tip-offs from council staff as well. Um, just sort of things that we might want to be looking into. And to be honest, one of the best sources of information we've got are our listeners. Because um, local radio is so rooted in the community that often it'll be a listener phoning up and saying, I can't believe you're, report you're not reporting about, you know, such and such that's going on in my village. And it turns out that this is the first we've heard of such and such going on in your village. And it's a really important story. And please tell us more. And then we go and investigate. So it's a bit of, you know, it's a bit of all of them, really. What? What do you... I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can ask, what's the worst thing that you found while you've, you've had a tip-off? <laughs> what's the worst thing somebody's done that you've, you've had to report on? Oh, goodness. There are quite a few. I mean, a lot of the time, I mean, and I'll preface this by saying that I think a lot of the time when thing go, things go wrong in local government and local politics, it's usually more kind of, you know, the classics sort of, it's usually more cock up than conspiracy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but there are one or two sort of bad apples that we've rooted out over the years. I remember there was one fella um, who was standing to be a local councillor in Hastings and it turned out that sort of on all of his election material he talked about his long career you know serving in the parachute regiment going back to the Falklands war and um, he had pictures of him wearing um, you know regiment paraphernalia on on his election material and then you know a couple of weeks before the election that all disappeared off the website and he was there in his civvies and there were allegations that this fella had, it was a stolen valor case, allegedly, um, you know, and we sort of spoke to a lot of people in various places and, and found that actually the, the, there were question marks, shall we say, over whether he had even put on a uniform, served in, in the army in his life. Um, and he was eventually suspended by his party, didn't win the seat. So that was that was one example where it was sort of quite and we found out quite suddenly it was sort of we, we found out about this a few days before polling day. Uh, and so the skates, we really had to get our skates on to sort of check out and, and check that it was true and sort of fi and, and find out what was going on. There was another one involving we had a sort of long running series of problems with our local patient transport service down in Sussex a few years back. Um, and this was sort of that, that's the service that's it's a non-emergency transport that takes you maybe to your dialysis appointment, maybe to your mm -hmm. chemotherapy. Um, and there were all sorts of they, they had a new provider. It was all going wrong in lots and lots of ways. Lots of people sort of missing their dialysis or, actually, you know, for an appointment that they should have been in and out in a few hours. They, they were spending the entire day in the back of a back of a sort of patient transport vehicle. And it was going wrong for a number of reasons. And in amongst the chaos, we discovered that um, a former bankrupt had taken over one of the subcontractor ambulance firms using a fake name um, and had sort of started spending, he'd sort of started, he'd stopped paying the staff, stopped updating the ambulances, stopped sort of repairing them and you know, the maintenance was going out of the window. We, we were hearing from ambulance drivers who were having to sort of clean their vehicles in the Asda car park because they weren't being, you know, proper washing facilities weren't being made available for them. And meanwhile, we noticed, we sort of started seeing financial documents that showed that this fellow was spending the company money that he should have been spending on all of that, on hiring himself a BMW, uh, renting himself a luxury flat. Um, and it just all looked a bit fishy. And we ended up sort of tracking him down and doorstepping him. And eventually he was sort of taken off the contract. But um, 
sometimes you get a sort of a, a, a particularly juicy, particularly sort of, you know, a, a sort of a dodgy character like that, for want of a better word. But most of the time, I'd say that the biggest stories we cover end up being sort of cock up rather than conspiracy. Do you, do you think that being said, do you think there should be more, I don't know how you would do it because I'm not a reporter and I'm not in that world, but more of a positive um, coverage on positive spin stories for councillors, not really so much for the councillors, but for more what they're trying to achieve in the villages and the towns and the cities and the boroughs that they're serving. Do you think there should be more coverage on that? Or is it a case of what you what you get or what you find is what you put out? And quite a lot of the time, there is a lot of negative. Well, do you know, it's a really interesting question, to be honest, because I think it's... Um, I think it's sort of I think our job's both to be honest and there is like there is a lot of I get I mean this is this is slightly pretentious kind of me just speak if you like but there's a bit of a focus and certainly within the BBC at the moment on what they call sort of solutions focused journalism so in you know out of the jargon that just means not just covering when there's a problem but covering when someone's trying to solve that problem and what sort of clever ways they've come up with for trying to solve it so um, you know, I was I was down in a town called Shoreham uh, the other day, um, sort of Shoreham and its neighbouring town Worthing, where the local council is trying to sort of do its bit to tackle climate change by sort of buying up bits of the seabed and, um, you know, trying to buy up bits of the seabed and grow kelp, like regrow a kelp forest on the seabed so that, that absorbs carbon and then it also does things like it creates habitats for shellfish and lobsters and and you know juvenile fish so you know creates a bit of a bit of a fishing economy for the town as well so all sorts of interesting stuff going on and that's that's a total good news story isn't it you know it's a, yeah. someone's had a clever idea um, run it through um a, a parish council uh way of doing things shall we say got the backing because it would have had to have gone to a vote that i propose that we do this that and that to make this that and that must have got the vote and then their clerk must have put the wheels in motion for that and then for you to get the story that this has all happened and then report on it it might be it must be quite fulfilling for them and for you to like almost be the the end goal that you're getting the story out there for them that they've been able to do this yeah and i think that's one of the examples where everyone's sort of pulling in the same direction because we've each got different jobs to do, haven't we? So the councillors have, yeah, you know, they've got the job of trying to make things happen in their community. They've got to try and, you know, represent their residents as best they can. Yeah. yeah, they've got to think about their residents exactly. Um, yeah, you know, the officers or the clerks in a parish council, you know, they've got to make sure that all of that's done in budget, on time, and according to the rules. Um, and and yeah, you know, they they've also got to kind of get the word out and make sure that people know what they're up to, so that the residents, you know, if something's great being done on behalf of the residents. The residents actually know about it because that's half the battle, half the time, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, my job's slightly different. You know, my job's not to sort of make things go well for the council. It's not to cause problems for the council. It's certainly not to cheerlead for the council or you know do that, give them good PR or give them bad PR. You know, I'm not here. I'm not in the business of making people look stupid. I'm not in the business of making people look wonderful my job is really for my listeners and for for the local community 
my job is to tell them what's going on. You know, if something that basically it is something happening in your community that I reckon you you're going to want to know about and that it's going to be in your interest to know about. And in that case, you know, we're, we're all pulling in the same direction, really, because, you know, something that's, you know, a really clever idea, something the council's going to want to shout about. Um, it's also something that's tackling climate change, which a lot of our listeners care about. It's something that councils have promised to do. So, you know, it's an election mm-hmm. promise they made. So I've got a job to make sure that we we check that councils are actually sticking to the promises they made to the voters. And if they're not, we question them about it. So we're all pulling in the same direction. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, sometimes we'll get a story where um, in that very same town, that very same council, you know, made a promise in the local election that it was going to, it promised all the voters that it was going to stick to weekly bin collections. You know, sounds, you know, sounds one of those sort of, you know, small little local issues, but we know that everyone cares about their bins, don't they? Wherever they are. Um, The the council had promised, you know, the the, the group that ended up winning the elections promised that it was going to stick to weekly bin collections. And then about three months later, went back on that promise and moved to fortnightly collections. So, of course, we're going to go after that and we're going to ask, hold them to account and ask them, well, look, you promised the residents just three months ago. Why such a sudden change of heart? You know, haven't you basically you know, led them up the garden path? And so our job isn't to make anyone look good or bad. It's to sort of hold them to account. You have to highlight what they're doing and to make sure that you know, our listeners get the information they need. That sort of answered another question I was going to ask. And that was what? Well, it was a two-parter. It was what would you need from councils and lower-tier democracy to make your life easier? And the other one was what would you need, you know, and you just hit that nail on the edge. You know, it's it's you just need the information. And once a councillor or a councillor has done something, then technically you've got that information, haven't you? And then you can work on that part of the the puzzle of the story, so to speak. That's true enough. And there's a couple of things I'd add, and I'm going to ask you the same question in a minute, actually, um, because I'm going to, I'm, I'm using this for my own purposes too. Um, but I, um, but I, I would also add to that. Um, I think a really important thing for local councillors to think about is when to contact journalists about stuff, um, yeah. particularly, particularly local, local broadcasters, so radio and telly. Because if you think about it, and there's no reason you would think about this unless you're actually making radio or telly, just the sort of building blocks of what you need to put something on the radio, you've got to have sound. Or to put something on the telly, you need to have pictures. And often the thing that winds me up the most, um, not that, you know, it's anyone's fault or that they were to know any different, but one of the things that I sort of think, oh God, I wish you'd come to me earlier, is when you get a press release from someone decides to get in touch about something they've done a week ago or you know it was wonderful to welcome the local mp to open the new um you know open the new sort of um fishing museum or to uh, open the new kelp um sanctuary or, or whatever it might be um last saturday and they've sort of put out a press release that's got lots of lovely quotes from all the people involved and telling you how wonderful it is and you sort of think well that would have been wonderful if i'd been there at the time i could have you know got the got the sounds of the things being open. I could have got a bit of, you know, maybe some footage of what was happening. And it's, it's useful to know about things before they happen so that we can plan our coverage accordingly. Um, yeah, and you, you also, the other side of the corner of that is you don't want anybody to ring you up too soon. Like if I rang you up, hey, Ben, I've got an idea. I'm going to put, um, I'm going to put books in the old uh, telephone box. You'd go, all right, thanks. 
wouldn't you? Well, you say that. I mean, I think in in that example, yeah, I might well just say, oh, that's that's you know, that's nice to do. Just just you know, keep me posted. Let me know how that goes. Um, because you know it's interesting it's a good idea and it's something that may well be a story in the future you're absolutely right probably isn't a story until you actually kind of get approval for it and start putting the wheels in motion or maybe there's a big campaign to get it happening and and that campaign gathers some steam and and even if it's not been signed off or approved yet the fact that people are campaigning for it's interesting and that's a story Um, but also you know the worst I mean the worst that happens is I just say cheers keep you posted you know it's it's never I think there's never so there's never no information is too much information when you're a journalist and that brings me to something else I'd say as well which is and I know I get the impression particularly for new councillors you're often particularly I think in sort of you know district and borough councils and county councils as well I think councillors are often sort of very very wary of speaking to journalists because um they know that sort of you know, they could say something, it might get misconstrued, it might... Yeah, I, um, think, I think it's the same uh, with any sort of job or industry. You're always going to get the bad apples. And a bad apple for a councillor regarding the press would be one that a councillor would say, I think that's great. And then a count, then the reporter turns around and says, this councillor said that this is rubbish because he thought this was great. So they've had that happen to them in the past. And then there's like um, there, there's got I haven't seen any. I mean, our, our little count, our little parish council here at Fosdar. I don't think we've got anything regarding press talk. We've got a social media sort of, you know, don't say talk shit or bugger on Facebook that sort of thing. But <laughs> I don't think we have anything that sort of says do not talk to press or anything. But I could imagine our borough or plenty of other boroughs would have only speak to press in this incident because of like you say it's bad apples in the past like you you report on sometimes bad councillors we would sometimes get bad reporters does that make sense i think that makes sense and i think that's fair um i think the on the flip side though what sometimes happens is you go too far the other way and you end up with a situation where nobody's talking to you. nobody's talking to you and, and i think a, a really really good two words to kind of keep in your mind when you're a counsellor and when you're a journalist is well three words actually off the record um because an off the record conversation means that you know if I'm having an off the record conversation with you um it means that while I might be taking notes just for my own research just to make sure that I've got a record of you know what was said anything that happens in an off the record conversation I can't report it I can't sort of attribute in a way that attribute it to you so I can't say um, so, you know, if, if we're talking off the record and you say, you know, just between you and me, I think the leader of the councils are, you know, so and so. And then I. We're on a podcast. You can say dickhead. It's all right. <laughs> Well, I don't know. What, well, what's I, I don't know your council leader. I don't, I don't want to don't want to besmirch their reputation. But but say you said something like that to me off the record. You're just between you and me. It's you know I I really I'm really not getting on with them. Um, you know, for this reason, that reason, and the other reason. And then I went on the radio the next day and said, oh, when I was speaking to Councillor Cropley, and Councillor Cropley told me that the leader was a so-and-so, that would be completely, like, that just, that would be completely against our code of ethics and our rules. Like, the whole point of an off-the-record conversation is that it doesn't go back to the person who gave it to you. And a journalist should always protect their sources. So, so they're so really... Sorry, if you get somebody that goes off the record, this might be happening, and then you go, hmm, 
I will try and find another way of making that a legit statement by other means. Is that how it works? Totally. So if, if, if you know, just, just off the record, you know, don't, this mustn't come back to me, but, you know, there's a protest planned. You might want to be in Main Street at 10 o'clock because, you know, something's going down. That's really useful information. Yeah, we don't report that we've had the conversation. I don't report that it was you that told me about it, but it's just useful information that helps me understand. And also, and, and that's often it, I think. I think the thing about kicks, you know, we're not telepaths. You know, yeah, um, you're the crystal ball, you, you're reliant on information trade in the sense. Exactly, we're reliant on information. Mm. And information isn't just facts, is it? It's people's takes on the situation. Mm. Um, you know, is a cycle lane, is, is a brand new cycle lane just gone up in the middle of your town is that a good idea or is that a bad idea well there's not a fact of the matter really is there like some people will sort of point to the data that shows it's got people out of their cars and onto their bikes other people are going to be pointing to data that yeah, shows old trees to put it in yeah exactly and mm -hmm. people are all going to have their different takes but my job as a journalist is really to talk to as many people as i can to make sure that i've got as wide a range of views that I've listened to so that I know where everyone's coming from. You know, I, I don't take a side myself. I just, but then I'm able to say, look, some people that I've spoken to are saying this, you know, within the conservative group, there's disagreement. You know, I'm not going to name which conservative councillors have been telling me that they disagree with the official position because that would be breaching the kind of, you know, the off the record, the kind of protecting your sources, you know, promise that I've, I've told you about earlier. But it's mm. so useful to have those conversations because Often I think councillors think, well, look, just send the journalist to the press office. They'll get an official statement um, and that'll be the end of it. And that's all they need. And that saves me from putting my neck on the line. And that's all very well. But the official statement you get from the press office is sort of the very, very sanitised, you know, thing that has been signed off by everybody in the, in the council. And it kind of gives you some of the story, but there's often a lot more to it than what goes into these official press statements. And these off-the-record conversations are the way that, that I get to understand where everyone's coming from. Mm. Do you think you and the BBC, when, when, you, when you get enough stories and you go to air or radio or television, do you think there's enough coverage of local lower-tier government, councils, all that sort of jazz? Or do you think you very much have to fight for your airspace? Oh, you're about to get me on a high horse, Chris. You sure you want to? <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. Um, I think I, well, I'm biased. I think there should always be more local politics coverage. And, you know, our audience research tells us this. It tells us that people want to know. I mean, particularly if after the last 18 months, you know, people spending much more time in their communities. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I think at the start of lockdown, we certainly, I mean, this is anecdotal, but we felt people turning to their local radio stations um, yeah, back in March 2020, they were suddenly spending a lot more time in their communities, even if they'd been commuting somewhere else before. People spending a lot more time in their communities. They wanted to know what was going on locally. A lot of the time they wanted to know how they could help or how they could access help for themselves or their neighbours. And, yeah. um, and I think, you know, that's and I, just... I think a lot of residents were looking, well, hang on, we've elected you to serve, start serving and leading. I, I, I feel like there was a lot of, a lot of that, like, right, you're a councillor, put your money where your mouth is, lead us in the direction that we should be led, as, you know, as, as bad as that sounds, because, do you know what I mean, though? It's, it's, 
it's one and how of them... did that feel because i remember at the start of the pandemic so i'm going off on a little tangent here but i remember at the start of the pandemic there was a bit of a sort of you know from high level from government there was some very big broad sort of sweeping things you know everyone must stay indoors you've got your one exercise a day um only go out for doing the essentials yeah. Um, but there were, we found really quickly, there were lots and lots of specific things that weren't very clear. Like, how far can you go for your exercise? Like, who's going to bring the essentials to people who can't get out of their house or they've got, you know, they're disabled, they, you know, they, they can't manage the stairs, that sort of thing. Uh, how did you find that as a, as a local councillor? Because I, I guess you're sort of, you're in a prominent position in your community, but are you getting clear instructions? Like, what, what, what's, what's that like for you? Is, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. I can hear you. Somebody tried ringing my phone, so I've had a bit of a technical difficulty. Oh, ring the klaxon! <laughs> We're all good. We're all good with that. Um, right. From my perspective, at the time, I was vice chair of Osdi, and um, I did what everybody else did after they listened to Boris on that fateful day, night, whenever it was. I shit myself, and I thought, right, if I'm shitting myself. Everybody else is shitting themselves. Does that make sense? So yeah, far? totally. So I mean, in a weird way, we're very fortunate because in in Fosdark, we're surrounded by fields. There's a lot of fields with a a, a lot of stuff growing. So, so the next day, I got out of my house and I walked to the local farmer's yard. And I said, "If the worst happens, and you know, I mean, people were going from every extent from." to this could be the end of human civilization as we know it and my brain sort of said right well let's go for worst case scenario and head up from there so i went to the local farmer and i said to him that field over there what's it growing potatoes oh brilliant how long till they're ready i went oh, about september time right i said if the worst happens and um, you know fosdite decides to break down and go into a uh, cannibalistic uh, apocalyptic lifestyle shall we say um would you be content in chucking them potatoes at the village hall and then people can come and get them because the worst thing that can happen is if people ain't got nothing to eat that's what's going to drive people out of their houses and go on a mission to get something to eat for them for the family for the loved ones for the neighbor you know food it's one of the essentials we need it to live he says, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, and it was one of them gentlemen's agreements sort of thing. I said, I'm talking absolute bollocks here because it probably won't. But what happens if it does? Does that make sense? Totally. And it's and it's what I, what I found fascinating about the whole thing was that, you know, we I think I think a lot of us were sort of worried that the worst might happen. And, you know, it, it was bonkers, it was, wasn't it? That we were all it thinking. Was now, it was I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 38 and it was. It's my generation's worst case scenario event. Many other generations have had it. World War II, you know, tsunamis, earthquakes, bad shit has happened across the world in different generations at different times. This was our generation's bad shit at the time. You totally. Know, all of a sudden we was told, yep, shit's going to get real rather quick. And well, what I was amazed by was like, what I was amazed by when that happened was that though we were all starting to have, you know, worst case scenarios going through our heads, actually everyone, you know, there wasn't a sort of, you know, 
total chaos and total carnage and cannibalism no. on the streets. Yeah, people, people really like everyone was doing what uh, you know most people were doing what you were doing and sort of going out and saying, right, who can help? What do we need to do? How yeah, do we coordinate I mean, all of this? From a from a parish council perspective, our parish council, we all had a phone call and sort of said, right, what can we do? And we agreed that we would put out a statement on the village notice board. At the time, we didn't have a, a social media notice board, i.e. Facebook or anything like that. We had the village notice board. So we said, right, we'll put out a statement. Now, to me, if you get into lower tier local government, you don't have to agree with whoever the big boys are in charge at the minute, Labour, Conservatives and Lib Dems, if they ever get the chance. But you have to acknowledge and understand democracy. And our democratic leaders have said this. So we need to inform our residents of this. Does that make sense? We, we, we couldn't really go out and go, right, you're in charge of water supply. You're going over there and you're going to go to the neighbours in the next village and try and strike up a trade deal or anything like that. We, we, I don't believe we had that sort of power, but we had the power to make sure, the best in our power, that we had informed our village residents. And that's such an important power. And it's such, is it a power? Is it a role? Is it a responsibility? However you want to describe it. I think councillors... Ultimately, if you stand to be a councillor, you're missing two words. You're missing to serve. So you stand to serve. Now, whether that's sorting out a disagreement between two neighbours or anything, if it's brought to your attention, you have a duty, not a power, a duty. You have to do it because you've, you don't have to, you know, settle it, but you just sort of have to make it amicable you know, let's get on with our lives. What are we fucking arguing over a cat for? That sort of thing. So you, you definitely have a duty to to try your best to inform. Hence why, I mean, I keep going back to Fosdark because it's what I know. I don't know what, you know, a, a village parish council in, well, I don't know, Puck and pick a place, Peak District. I don't know what they're doing. But, you know, hence why we've set up a Facebook social site but we don't use it as a back and forth two-way communication it's technically an online notice board for all intents and purposes so you you have a duty to inform them the best you can with whatever means you've got does that make sense it does yeah and i think also local politicians you know whether they're the local mp or the local you know county council district councillor parish councillor we often find as journalists that they're often the best people to go to in times like this. Not because, you know, they've got special powers. As you say, they don't have special powers over everybody else. You know, they're not like, the you know, you're not the king of Fosdyke. But what you do have is you've got the sort of get up and go to be out there and about there and sort of volunteering and, and, and helping to sort things out. And also, theory, you've got the... You know, if you know enough people... You should be a hub of, right, well, this guy's good at this. This girl knows how to do this. This woman over there, she's she's good at that. You, if, if you're going to do it right, you've, you've got to have your contacts in the village. Well, that's it, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, MPs, councillors, whoever you are, those people are often very well plugged into what's going on. So sometimes, you know, as a shortcut, you know, I can't ring round, you know, there's, there's, say there's a big row going on in a village about, 
I don't know, double yellow lines or something. Um, mm. You know, I could ring every single person on the street and try and you know, go through the phone book. Or I could ring the local councillor and say, look, what's going on? Do people actually, are people actually wound up about this? Or is it just sort of a couple of noisy, yeah, are, are the sort of most upset people shouting the loudest, but actually there's two of them and, you know, 20 people who really want them. Like, you know, give us a, give us a sense. And actually local representatives are really good sources of information because you're in touch with your communities. You know, I can't be in touch with every single community in, no. in the county of Sussex in quite the way that you are in touch with Fosdyke, you know? It's um, it's interesting because, I mean, people have got the um, the option to come and go and move us as and when they please. So it's a in, a in a weird way, it's a complete conveyor belt of people sometimes. One minute you know 100 people, next minute you could know 10. Yeah, that must be that must be odd. But then you then you build your relationships again, don't you? I guess. Well, you, you you've got to you've got to um, you just got to keep if you if you want to do it and do it to a reasonable standard, you you got to keep going out there and you got to keep asking and you know one of the one of the things I I mean I, this lockdown did me a world of good in a sense. I made a few decisions on a parish council and it gave me time to to sit back, look, and think about them. And I found out that one, one of my biggest flaws is the, the perfect thing that we've been talking about. It's not having that communication. You know, yes, all right, everybody's got the, the option of coming to the parish council meetings. Well, not during the lockdown, but now more so. Now it's practically, you know, all systems go just about. One of my biggest problems was, you know, although I knew a lot of people in the village, I didn't really sort of stand and chew the fat with them, so to speak. So I'm starting, hence why this podcast sort of come to light in a sense, you know, how many other parish councillors, borough councillors, county councillors have sat down and talked to a, a reporter about what they view, what they need and what they think of lower tier local government? It's 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 getting out there and talking to people about shit and that's one of the jobs of doing it so well let's crack on and do the job absolutely that That totally makes sense um i want to go back to what i've I've realized i've gone on a big old tangent now and to go back to your original question of like whether we should be doing more local issues good tangent i I liked it yeah that's the, the, the best the best tangents are we need a segue now to get back to the original um source material well, it's just making me think about sort of whether we do enough local local politics. And all of our, you know, all of our data suggests that people want more local news. They want to know, you know, when they pick up the phone in the morning and, you know, flick through the headlines on the BBC News app. I'm sure other apps are available, but they're not as good. No, they are. They probably are. Cannot <laughs> confirm or deny that. Cannot confirm or deny whether they're... Unless somebody's paying me and then I'll tell them what they want. <laughs> we would never do that. You know, whatever <laughs> app you're using, we know that people want to be able to sort of open their app and, you know, see more stories from their neighbourhoods. And yeah. it's tricky because sort of, obviously, you then get into the big debate about um, whether the sort of the big national bulletin that Hugh Edwards sits on top of, like, you know, if you know, he's not going to be covering, you know, very, very hyper-local story in one little village that doesn't concern anybody else outside of the village. 
but similarly people in that village deserve to hear about it but I've, I've this is something I've always been really really passionate about because I also grew up in Lincolnshire um like Ooh, I, went to, I went to school in, um so I went to school in Bourne um I sort of lived oh, in a little village Bourne, between Bourne, yeah, yeah. Oh, um... <laughs> end it now. I can't talk to Bourne people <laughs> That this is the thing, isn't it? It's a big, it's a big old county. Um, no, you know, went to school in Bourne. You know, played played the violin in the county youth orchestra. You know, Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire's home, and yeah. um, really, really proud of where I'm from. And growing up, I don't know how you felt, but it always felt to me like the news was something that happened to other people somewhere else, and it used to yeah. wind me. Yeah, I, I don't know how it felt for you, but it just seemed like there was never any coverage of stuff going on where we lived. I, th I think Lincolnshire as a whole the, and the people in it are very, I wouldn't say keep themselves to themselves, but they're, they're very uh, nice weather today, isn't it? We, we would rather talk about the weather than, than shouting about how good we're growing crops around the area that's that's feeding half of the county or something like that along them lines so yeah i totally i totally get what you mean it was like you you never really felt a local story or a local name on the news unless it was something that was really massive at the time yeah and i think the problem i have sometimes with and this isn't a bbc problem it's a it's a problem with the whole of the way that the news works is that sometimes the bar's in different places. So, I mean, to take an example from where I currently, you know, my, my sort of adopted home in, in of Sussex, um, it takes, you know, if, if the tube drivers in London go on strike for, you know, a day, then, no. you know, even though anybody in London can still get about by bus or by train or by any number of other ways of getting about the capital, um, it doesn't cause as much disruption as some other kinds of transport strike. But one day of tube strikes in London and it's, you know, national news. But mm. in Sussex, it's, we had a series of strikes on Southern Rail, so the main rail line into London from Brighton and the sort of surrounding towns on the south coast. And that caused huge disruption. It meant that people couldn't get to work. It meant that, um, you know, we, we think it sort of had a really like measurable effect on the tourist numbers on the towns in the south coast. It cost people's livelihoods. It, was, it, was, it caused mental health problems. It was a really, really big thing, at yeah. least as important, you know, affecting, you know, it was it was at least as important, I felt, as a tube strike in London. And it went on for a much longer period of time. And it took months before the National Bulletin started to take it seriously. And then, you know, heaven heaven help the people who were affected by a similar strike that was going on at about the same sort of time um sorry it wasn't a strike in this case right it was it was disruption happening in at the same sort of time on for the customers of northern rail you know cities that didn't even weren't even touching london and and they found it even harder to get their stories onto the national news um and i just sort of you know felt you're growing up in lincolnshire you know, it, it can't. It just can't be the case that nothing interesting is happening here. No, it's just I mean, that it's... people aren't spotting it, or they the bar for getting onto the national bulletins for a story that's in Lincolnshire must just feel be so much higher. And that's not right. I don't think. I think we need to. You know, if something happens in Lincolnshire, it should be treated exactly the same as whether it happens in London or the South East. And I think there's there's a big debate in the BBC and and other organisations about how exactly we address that you know we're moving lots of journalists out of the london newsroom 
into sort of regional cities like Leeds and Birmingham yeah. and Glasgow. It's almost like you've got to turn London press coverage hyper-local and then turn the hyper-local areas like, you know, I'm not saying Lincolnshire's hyper-local, but putting more emphasis on like on, on them, like you're saying, moving your reporters out there, right, find some local shit for us to talk about. Well, and it's it's a range of things, isn't it? So sometimes, you know, I'm doing a story about, say I'm doing a story for the National BBC, I mean, you know, I wish I was doing a story for the National BBC News at 10, uh, maybe one day. But, um, you know, say I'm doing a story for them on something that happens everywhere, like A-level results or yeah. fuel prices going up or something. It's something that affects the entire country all at once. You know, yeah. I don't have to pick as my sort of, case study we call it you know I don't have to go to a school in London I could go to a school in Manchester or a school in you know rural Derbyshire or somewhere like that you know, just a bit of thought about where we're going and I think the BBC has got better at that over the last few years but the other thing I wanted to say about this is that it's not just a question of making sure that we're covering stories outside London and the southeast um you know whether that's in regional news or, or national news I think it's starting to think a bit about who we cover local stories for because i think for a very long time we've known that the traditional sort of most so most of our local coverage happens through um local radio um mm -hmm. like that's a lot of local political coverage particularly for council level local politics i think that's still good for it, isn't it? exactly yeah. it's it, you know and we've got the time for it and we've got dedicated reporters for it um you know there's me for the whole of sussex you know covering council meetings and the local radio audience traditionally we know is slightly older than average um you know they're sort of people who are kind of in their community and have been there for a very very long number of years you know people who are maybe sort of flitting in and out of their community like maybe they're commuting up to london or whatever those sorts of people we think tend to listen to radio four or radio two they don't tend to they don't tend as much to listen to local radio so you end up with this kind of stereotypical local radio listener who is your kind of core audience that you're broadcasting to they tend to be older um, and there's certain issues that that they that sort of listener might well care about you know your staple local radio politics stories about planning applications about the bins being collected um mm you know, about new roads and whether the new roads should be going through the ancient woodland. And those stories are all very important. They do affect people's lives. They do affect how their local taxes are being spent. And, and we do need to cover them. But, you know, local communities don't just include the sort of older listener who really cares about those stories. They also, you know, because everyone lives in a local community, don't they? They also include teenagers who are going out into their town centres and protesting, you know, with Greta Thunberg for climate, you know, for climate justice. You've got, they also involve youth services um, mm. being cut to the bone. They also involve people who care about homelessness. And, and actually, so, so one of the things we did at, at Radio Sussex was um, start to address that, that directly with a new, so we created a podcast called Politics and Chill, 
Um, oh, which was, damn, you beat me to it again. Uh, <laughs> you planning to ask me about that? Oh, um, man. I was, try- I was trying. I was like, he's going to give me a window in a minute. Here's your segue. Here's your segue. Yeah. But what we were trying to do with that was... Politics and chill. Tell me about it, please. <laughs> well, the title was sort of a working title that ended up sort of... We, we didn't think of a, a proper title in time and the working title ended up being the real one. Um, but um, and, and involved a comment because it's a pun on Netflix and chill. And I think yeah. one of the most excruciating meetings I've ever heard of was when my boss had to explain to her boss what Netflix and chill was. <laughs> Which, um, for, for, for the benefit of my listeners, would you like to um, to explain it again? I'd, I'd Google it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, Netflix and chill, you know, you might be on a dating app and you might invite somebody round for, for Netflix and chill and it's sort of what starts as a as a nice evening in watching movies may well end up somewhere yeah, else. Let's really, put it that way. <laughs> well, that's that's it exactly. That's it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you may well end up there. I don't know, um, but um, but yeah, that's that's that was sort of the pun that we we're going for. But but what we were trying to do with it was tackle, keep a focus on local news and local politics, but cover it for a much younger audience than we're used to covering. And we sort of thought, right, if instead of broadcasting to sort of over 50s who were our core listeners we yeah. were doing stories for 18 to 30 year olds um ideally 18 to 30 year olds in the local area maybe who aren't already interested in politics maybe who you know haven't done politics at university or haven't even gone to university so they're not you know your core politics audience either let alone not being your core kind of local radio audience what sort of stories would they be interested in and how do we get them involved? And we ended up sort of, it kind of started there and we ended up doing a whole series of podcasts for the whole of BBC England, you know, looking at local stories through the 2019 election campaign. And it was so interesting that the things that we ended up talking about were very, very different to what we talk about day to day in local radio. And, and again, very different to what we ended up talking about. In- it's, it's different generations having different outlooks and views and, and goals. And, you know, a, a younger person's outlook on life is going to be different to mine. Yet, if I try and be a parish councillor using my own thoughts and knowledge, you're not going to really help everybody that you're trying to serve. So a podcast like that that talks about it, I mean, one of the biggest things I'm finding at the minute is the older I get, the language is changing. So the way that uh, my demographic would say a certain phrase or a word or use a certain phrase or a word in context is completely different to people that are younger than me. Vice versa with people older than me. People who are older, older than me speak differently. They, they use, you know, for argument's sake, they might be a bit more politer than what I am. Or they, won't, they won't drop as many curse words in as what I do. So it's, it's finding that balance of being able to talk to people you know, via a podcast with a with a catchy name like yourselves, but doing it in a way that they can understand. Because although they're, they're learning English at school, they're, they're not really learning English unless they're really out in the real world and they're talking to the mates and they're all watching the same films and then they're learning the same together. And they learn. does that make sense? They're le- le- learning their own English or their own language their own way of speaking, and if we can't talk their talk, they're going to look at us and like, 
what the fuck are you talking about planning permission? What's planning permission? So certain things need to be said in a different way. And if you can do that on a podcast that heightens issues that broaden, that, that it's a broaden for most people, you're onto a winner there, surely. I hope so. I mean, I think I think in terms of the language, it's an important point. I don't think, um, I mean, to be honest, I think some of the, you know, most kind of eloquent and erudite things I've heard in local government have been sort of petitions that have come from young people, to be honest. I think I think what you did, you're really touching on something, though, that, that we definitely find, which is that particularly like our younger listeners, and, and sort of younger people within the political community, so certainly in my patch in Sussex, mm. I think you know yourself in local government, the mechanisms for things to happen, you know, it might, homelessness is a really good example. That's an issue that we find like lots of younger listeners, I mean, we know lots of people just whatever their age care about homelessness, but it's a particular one that speaks particularly to younger listeners is homelessness. Yeah. And, you know, we know those of us who are sort of like embedded in local government, that while you know a homeless person who's sleeping rough needs a roof over their head, and they probably also need lots of other help as well with their mental health, with their addiction, um, with all sorts of other kind of social care stuff. And we know that it might be a district council um, that has a duty to put a roof over their head, but it's the county council that has a duty to give them the social care. And often there's a lot of kind of haggling and arguing between those two bodies about who funds what, and it's all a bit confused. And then maybe the government comes in from Westminster with another scheme that people can bid for money from. And then there's local charities in the mix, and maybe the parish councils decide to do something too. And there's all sorts of things going on. It's very difficult to know which lever to pull to make something change. Whereas a, you know, a younger person comes along and just sees somebody sleeping on the street and all they care about is getting that person off the street and getting help. And they don't really care who does it. So I think yeah. that's one thing is, is sort of, you know, it can be quite, con the world of local government can be quite confusing for people who aren't sort of living and breathing it every day because it's not clear, you know, why when they write to their district councillor, their district councillor can't do anything about the state of the roads. Well, that's because it's a county council job. But, you know, that's, that's, that's always been a problem. We need to get better at explaining it. But I think the yeah. other thing is sort of, you know, often in uh, parish councils are definitely not the worst culprits for this. But so often I think I find things are kind of written in jargon, like council reports are in jargon. Councillors speak in meetings in jargon. And actually, yeah. I think, you know, the same as same as you as, as, as it is for us in journalism. If you can explain a story, you know, if you can't explain a story in words of one syllable almost, or in plain talk, then you haven't understood it yourself. So I think being able to explain what's going on in words of one, one or two syllables, really simple language, doesn't mean you're dumbing it down and doesn't mean you're sort of, you know, speaking a different language for a different audience. It just means that, you know, you're on top of what you're talking about and you're able to communicate well with other people. And I think... Yeah, you're making it easy to digest for the majority. That's it. And actually, you know, things can be very complicated, but you can still explain them in a way that people can understand. And actually, like, it's, it's our job as journalists, certainly, to, to make sure that our listeners do understand what's going on. You know, I think we get into very dangerous territory where we just sort of like shrug and wave our hands and say, oh, well, this is a bit too complicated. But um, I think that's, you know, that's sort of doing a huge disservice to our listeners. Mm. Yeah, it... Um... It's a good way of looking at it. 
I think if anything, what we need to take away from this podcast and your podcast is if councils really want parish, borough, county, if, if they really want to get the word out on something, they, they need to have the trust and the faith in the press to get it out there in a way that is formatted so it's easily read for everybody. That's it, exactly, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I think, you know, journalists aren't, you know, we're not your busy mates, but we're not your enemies either. Like, no. we've, we've no. all got a job to do. And actually, I think if you're a counsellor, journalists can be a really useful resource in your community and building a good relationship with your local reporters is going to be a really, really good way of, yeah, as you say, getting the word out about stuff that you want to shout about um, getting your concerns out about something that's happening in your local area that you think needs action. Um, I think it's it's a useful relationship to have. And I think I appreciate what you've said about it taking a bit of a leap of faith to be able to, to trust a journalist. But the point is, I think once you get to know them and once you start to build that trust, I think the relationship can be a really useful one. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And I think on that note, just conscious of time, that would be a nice way of wrapping it up if you're in agreement, unless you've got anything else. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on and best of luck with the rest of it. It's such a useful resource, this. I'm really, really pleased you're doing it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to, to you, you, yourself, the, the people that have already come on, because if it weren't for you people going, yeah, fuck it, I'll do this podcast episode with you, I wouldn't be doing a podcast because I ain't going to stand here and look at my phone for an hour and a half and think, what can I talk about? You know, have a go. <laughs> no, trust me. Um, but I, I, I'm as much as a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a vacuum for your information as people I would like to listen to. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. I, I need to know what you're talking about. I need to know it so I can be a better counsellor myself. And... Yeah, no, I'm so appreciative to everybody that's come on so far and just chewed the shit, so to speak, and just wanting to talk about this issue. This, I was going to say this issue then, but it's not an issue. <laughs> talk about this, um, this way of life, this way of getting in community-minded way of thinking. And, yeah, no, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care, my man. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. To help us keep the streetlights on, so to speak, please visit our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash the local council experience.